I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. Good to be back. It's just me this week, I'm afraid. Jamie Smith says to talk primarily about Burnley, but um, everything else that Kev throws at me <laughs> over the course of the next three quarters of an hour or however long we carry on. <laughs> I would hardly say it's just you. It's especially you. But you are correct. There is also no one else outside of the two of us to be talking everybody through the Premier League today. Unfortunately, had a late drop. But a pleasure speaking to you, as always. A little bit less of a pleasure that I have to start off by talking about Tottenham with the North London Derby obviously happening today uh, as we record. Uh, It started, well, I was going to say well with the Lamella goal, but it really didn't. Tottenham were pretty much the second best team for the majority of that match. Lamella pulled off. Uh, an easy goal of the season contender, potential Puskas contender, but you have to imagine that'll be damaged by the fact that it happened in a super terrible game for his club. He got a, a sent off with two yellow cards and then they lost. Um, on the whole, I think most of the blame has to go to Mourinho. I think the tactics were were wrong. We've seen him try to set up defensively against threatening sides like Manchester City or Liverpool. Uh, Arsenal, I think, were in 10th coming into the match and are still in 10th afterwards. And you just would have thought that considering the good run of form we were in, had won three straight, you had the Kane-Bale-Sun thing going on, that we would have really pushed forward to try to capitalize on that. But then Sun gets hurt in the first 15 minutes. Lamella comes on, actually has a pretty good shift until, again, (laughs) he got sent off. Um, But you can't set up that defensively and invite that much pressure when they're also able to get behind you. The point of sitting back is that they aren't able to get behind you, uh, either in the channels or on the wings, and they were able to do both, especially against Matt Dougherty, who has been uh, worse than Kieran Trippier in every way. And I mean that to its core. Uh, the point of Dougherty <laughs> was that he was supposed to bring more creativity that we'd lost after Trippier left. Uh, that hasn't been the case. Defensively, he's way worse because he's more of a wing back than a traditional right back. And uh, I just don't think we ever were worried about having a right back that lacked the pace or defensive ability that Trippier did. Uh, and he's just worse at both. Uh, and now Trippier's pseudo-crushing it uh, in in Spain, except, you know, for the gambling ban. Um, but yeah, the if you're going to play Dowerty or even Aurier, I, I think the problem is that you have to play Sissoko to cover the inadequacies that we have at right back. Aurier has all of the ability to cover his whole flank but has the huge mental lapses that are either penalties or lead to conceded goals. And then Matt Dougherty just isn't very particularly good at football. Um, And so while it would have been very defensive, I think Sissoko probably should have started to help protect that flank, especially knowing that Arsenal like to play in those spaces. But on the whole, nine points out of the last 12. In theory, you have to take that as a Spurs fan, but really disappointing performance in a big match again. Uh, I'll just end with one tweet that... uh, I saw right before we came on air that uh, since 
Tottenham were top of the table, we've played eight games against teams that are in the top ten, nine and seven in the league, one uh, in the FA Cup, and we've won none of them. So that doesn't seem to be ideal for Jose. <laughs> no, um, I think it was it was a really strange game for me. Like obviously the behind closed doors thing, it affects derby matches more than anything else. Um, so you didn't have sort of blood and thunder that you would expect from a North London derby. I think, like you say, Spurs were quite defensive, quite passive. I felt like they just let the game kind of happen around them. Um, but then the flip side, Mourinho's been on saying that it, it wasn't a penalty in his Josie way. Um, and I think it was debatable. It's one of those where I've always felt that if you do get your shot off, and then you clattered, it should be a penalty, but they never seemed to get given. So it was a bit unusual that, that this one was. You see it all the time that striker runs through on goal, has to do the effort, then the goalkeeper wipes them out, and it seems to be very rarely a penalty. Mm. Sort of similar to that. I think um, Sanchez, wasn't it? Was it Sanchez? Yep, always. <laughs> always Sanchez. Sanchez was obviously quite clumsy, but Lacazette had actually sliced the ball so badly that. It, it wasn't a, a, a threat on goal anymore. It's, it's, it's a strange one for me. And obviously the equaliser took a deflection as well. So I'm sure Mourinho will argue that Luck was against Spurs. Son going off injured early. Massive impact on the game. Also Mourinho's um, fault. Well, yeah. Having played him in literally every match for like the last six months. It's it. um, but the thing that stood out for me, having not watched all of Spurs Europa League games, not all the league games recently, was... Harry Kane just had no impact on the game until the last 15 minutes. What's what? I didn't even notice that he was playing. And this this yeah. is a player with a fantastic record in the derby. Always seems to bring his A game for the playing Arsenal, and he just wasn't in the game. Um, and Spurs obviously rely on Kane to such an extent that when he has one of those days where they can't get him involved in the play. Obviously, it's more difficult after Lamella goes off and Spurs are down to 10, but it was only really the last 10 minutes we saw Kane as any sort of attacking threat. He had the goal rolled out for offside that was really offside, obviously. But, yeah, it's just... I think when you saw reliance on one player, really noticeable when they're just not really on their A game. Mm. But it's the same with Son, isn't it? Spurs have just run those two into the ground, so it's inevitable what one of them was going to get injured sooner rather than later, and... Kane just looked tired to me. He looked really tired. Yeah. And he's the one that has been getting rested. So that's that's not particularly promising. And I think we saw a lot of that still tiredness, lack of sharpness in the Fulham match, um, which was what, two or three matches ago now. But then he's been so good since that I think a lot of people just forgot. Um, and I don't want to, you know, <laughs> besmirch his character or anything. But I think when it's clear that the plan isn't to attack, it's easier to switch off as soon as he sees sun go off it's easier to switch off because he isn't looking to get the ball to just hammer it 40 yards forward and see if sun gets on the other end of it um it was pretty clear that he was going to be isolated for most of the match because bale was up where he was and nobody was connecting play between the two except lucas except when lucas drives he isn't driving to look for a pass he's just driving to run into or past four ish people um so yeah i I agree i think kane has uh, been a little hot and cold the last few matches which you expect better from but given everything he's given to the club for the last five six years it's it's hard to to hold him too too to account for that but 
when you, when your best players aren't showing up, it's really hard. I think Hoybier had his worst game in a Spurs shirt today, um, which didn't help in midfield. He was constantly getting caught out in midfield. Then he started trying to cover the channel like we did in the Manchester City win earlier in the season. But he wasn't really getting back in time to do that either. So he just kept getting caught in no man's land, not protecting the middle of the pitch nor protecting the right back. Um, so he had a bad match. Obviously, Kane was, uh, like you said, non-present for most of it. I, I think Hugo... <laughs> You don't want to lay too much at his feet, but the deflection was still pretty close to him. Obviously, it's hard to, to readjust that late um, on the Odegaard shot, but it went off of Toby. Davinson gives up the penalty. Dougherty fails to close down the man on the cross again, which uh, happened for the Benteke goal against Crystal Palace. It's just, it's not good when, when your best players are letting you down or when just the same players are letting you down. And under Jose, that continues to be the trend in what I tweeted out earlier as big matches, which is just matches against anyone that poses you a genuine threat. Um, and we just continue to drop points in all of them. And I think a lot of us were hanging on to Jose's legacy as supposed to be, you know, we're still in the Europa League, we're still in the Carabao Cup final, but the optimism that surrounds those competitions and his mentality as a winner I think it needs to be put in question marks when we haven't won a meaningful game in, in quite some time. So, anyway, I told Jamie that I was going to try to not rant too long about Tottenham, but there we are. Any <laughs> any closing thoughts? Um, no, I, I just think it's 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 a funny one with Spurs because with the whole season being behind closed doors, there's no pressure from the crowd on Mourinho. Um, I see a lot of anti-Mourinho stuff online from Spurs fans and. I think if there was a packed Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, as they're insisting on still calling, um, then it might be a bit different. I don't think fans would really be happy watching this sort of style of football. Um, and like you say, it's, you put up with it if you're winning games, and Spurs have won a few games recently, but when the chips are down and it's a really big match that they have to win, it just seems to have something missing. Yeah, uh, to, to sum up that uh, exact thing somebody tweeted out earlier, uh there's nothing more infuriating than when Jose sets up to not lose and does. Because that's all it is. It's no impetus. There's no intent to get forward and win. You're just assuming that your attacking players are good enough to get you a goal and then you won't lose it at the other end. But we consistently yeah, and, do. And today, firstly, Arsenal aren't very good. So you don't need to be going defense first against Arsenal mm. because they're just not very good. They're a mid-table team. They have been all season. They're just not very good. It's that simple. And secondly, it's not acceptable to settle like that in a derby game. Fans expect more. They expect teams to set up, to attack the opposition, really take the games. And, and it's just not really good enough to be as passive as Spurs were for most of the game today. Yeah, totally agree. Um, perhaps even more surprising than Jose Mourinho playing defensively in a derby match uh, was Chris Wilder finally being let go. There were rumors all week. Uh, that it was happening, and then the days when it was supposed to be announced, it wasn't announced, and then people wondered if maybe they were backtracking the decision, but turns out they were just negotiating terms of the release, which was that they were, air quotes, mutually agreed on his departure. Um, we talked about this maybe a month or two into the season when it was clear that they were basically pinned to the bottom of the table of should they get rid of Wilder, should they stick with him, uh, and the debate was largely who gives them a better chance in the championship, Wilder or somebody else, and so it seemed that the consensus was if they were going to let go of him, they would have done so early in the season. They stuck with him all year. They're basically mathematically out of it. And now they make a change to an interim manager, not even uh, bringing in a permanent one. Why do you think this is happening now? I think it's 
it is unusual timing in that they've left it too late to make any difference, and they've acknowledged that by not bringing in a permanent. Like if they'd, if there was another Sam Allardyce out there, and they'd gone right, we're going to sack the manager, get the other Sam Allardyce in. I can't think of another Sam Allardyce, but you know, the sort of firefighter <laughs> who comes in. Yeah, purely so, even like a, a Nigel person who almost did the same job with, with Watford, Watford and then just randomly left towards the end. Yeah, that exactly. was also if, weird. If, if they'd done something like that, then you it would be more understandable. But you're right, they are basically down. It's just waiting for the mathematics to be confirmed now. Um, and on paper, I think it does look strange. There's a lot of people saying, well, he's brought them up from League One, basically been punished for overachieving. Um, but I think if you've watched his interviews recently, there's clearly been... Um, a bit of a breakdown in the relationship between himself and the owners. There's been a lot of speculation that they want to bring in a director of football. Um, and I think managers a lot of the time don't love that idea. We've just seen Man United do it and Solskjaer doesn't seem mm. bothered, but I think that's been on the cards there for a long time. They've been talking about doing that for, for years now. Um, and I think Wilders may be a bit old school. I'm not going to say like old fashioned because I don't think he's old fashioned, but I think he likes being in full control. And if you bring in the director of football, it always feels a bit like you're taking stuff away from the manager. And I think Wilder thought that he'd been there so long, he deserved to be doing everything. Um, but I think it's just the modern way now that most clubs aren't like that. Now there's normally someone else um, taking a big part of the recruitment. Um, and I think the the other thing is that they've just been so bad like it's mad to me to look at the table and they only recently got past Derby's record low and people are arguing that he shouldn't have been sacked like this is a historically bad Premier League team one of the worst teams we've had in Premier League history and the fact that Chris Wilder's done a fantastic job there for five six years however long it's been it doesn't change the fact that they are terrible right now yeah yeah if you were great at your job, Kev, for four or five years, doing a mm. fantastic job, everyone was delighted. And it was terrible long, for a whole year. Yeah, how, how long do you think you could get away with being completely abject before they get rid of you? Yeah. No, in, I, in normal I think that's life, a fair point. Like, in normal life, I don't think you get as long as Chris Wilder has. Um, and I think recruitment is the key area because, okay, their budget doesn't stack up to most clubs in the league, but Compared to some, like my club, Burnley, for example, they did spend reasonably heavily last summer. They spent good money on Aaron Ramsdale, trying to replace Dean Henderson, who was obviously one of their best players last season. Ramsdale doesn't look anything like the same class as Henderson. Um, About to watch two different clubs go down in consecutive years, and I do not think he's blameless in that regard. It's not ideal, um, and it's normally a bad sign. We signed Nick Pope from Charleston when they'd just been relegated, and that works out well for us. But generally speaking, if players are getting relegated, you don't want too many players that get relegated all the time in your team. They spent a lot of money on Rian Brewster from Liverpool, who's done absolutely nothing, doesn't look close to being ready for Premier League football. Um, and Sander Berger was the other big buy who looked promising at first, and I think he's been injured lately, but hasn't justified that money. So I think it's been tough. They've had a lot of injuries to key players. I think O'Connell, the defender, has been a massive loss. He sort of made the system work, not having him all season. They've tried a lot of different solutions to fill in for O'Connell, and none of them have worked. Um, 
So I sympathise because it's been it's been difficult for Chris Wilder, but just look at the league table. They've not got any points. They don't win any games. Mm. They don't score any goals. Like this this was this was just going to happen. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. They're really not that terrible, even with all of those issues that you talked about in chances created or getting forward or crosses. But they're dead last in goals with just 16 out of 29 matches. Like, you, you just can't. And I, what Do they have like five or six strikers on the books if memory serves? Like, they just kept trying to solve the same issue and then kept signing players that weren't good enough. No offense. Ollie McBurney and Rian Brewster were both bought off of the strength of their performance in Swansea's team and then both showed up and didn't do it for them. Like, maybe don't go back there. When you're trying to find your next striker, obviously they purchased him from Liverpool, but it's not ideal. And I think that's part of the reason why there was that rift that you talked about, about bringing in players is they brought in a lot of players that just didn't work out. Um, Even ones that did like uh, Sander Berga, I thought them signing him in January last season was a great signing, but it immediately unsettled John Lundstrom, who had been one of their best players that season and then caused him to basically vanish for the last year and a half. Like, even the good ones weren't working out in terms of fitting into the team yeah. or you sign so many strikers and none of them can score any goals. It, and so I'm stuck in between feeling bad for Wilder because of the job that he'd done there. All of the stories you hear about him, like going to their matches or doing interviews when he was a, a player and all those like endearing qualities and also recognizing that he was terrible at player management and they needed to bring in somebody over him to handle the transfers because he wasn't doing well enough. And to try to pick that fight of I shouldn't have to deal with a director of football while your team is struggling because of your tactics and your player acquisition is like, it's a very strange hill to try to die on when actively the problems are your fault. Yeah, I think um, I think it, it, the writing's just on the wall. I think once you start fighting with the people above, I mean, we've had a similar situation at Burnley in that the relationship between... Sean Dyche, the manager, and the ex-chairman, Mike Garlick, completely broke down to the extent where they weren't even communicating. And that was over transfers, essentially. But the point I always made, as, as someone who's obviously a big fan of Sean Dyche, is that when he goes to our board and says, I need more money to improve this team, they point at £13 million for Robbie Brady. He never plays. Mm. £15 million for Ben Gibson. Bombed out and now out on loan. Ten million pound on Matty Vidra, who until the last few weeks rarely ever starts. So the fact is, when Dash has had decent money to spend, his bigger buys haven't always worked out, and that's what's happened with Chris Wilder. His best players are the ones that have made the journey with Sheffield United from League One. They haven't really signed yeah. players who've come in and made a difference to that team. And I completely understand that recruitment is tough at that level. When you have Dean Henderson on loan for two seasons and he turns into one of the best young goalkeepers around, you then have to go out and replace him. And you're Sheffield United. You can't compete on wages with most of the teams in the league. And you have to persuade people to come to Sheffield United. It's the same as Burnley. It's not a fashionable club. A lot of players don't necessarily entertain that sort of move. So you've got a small pool and a small budget. It's not a great comparison and that's probably why they keep looking at Swansea players because that's the sort of market (laughs) that they're working in right so I have sympathy but I think when you've just been as bad as they've been Wilder seems set with his tactics that they've used all the way up with the three at the back and the overlapping centre-backs and all this and then when the players aren't available that make the system works he 
hasn't come up with a new plan. They play the same all the time. I think, I hate the saying, but I think they have been found out a little bit. Mm. I think teams now have seen them for a year in the Premier League. They know how that system works. They've had and they know the strikers can't game. finish. And they know the strikers can't finish. So, yeah, I think it's it's a difficult one. And you can say, well, Chris Wilder had a great chance to bring them back up, but it's not the same as the comparisons, which are Dyche at Burnley. We stuck with him when we went down, but that was one season up and down. Daniel Farker at Norwich is about to bring them back up. Mm. Did Newcastle stick but with Benitez? He, uh, yes, but he only came in for the end of the season before, and mm. Newcastle fans would say he couldn't keep them up. Daniel Farker at Norwich took them up, took them down, and they're going back up again. None of these managers had the one season where they succeeded in the Premier League and then failed. That's completely different. If you're expected to get relegated, then you get relegated. That's a free pass. That's what we had at Burnley, mm. and then we came back up. Sheffield United were in the top half of the Premier League last season. Yeah, challenging for Europe until like the last four weeks. It's a catastrophic drop-off in form. And yes, there's the issues with the injuries. There's the fact playing behind closed doors has affected them more than a lot of other teams, I think, because they feed off the crowd at Bramall Lane. All these things are a factor, but they've underperformed to such a massive degree. It's very difficult to argue that Wilder deserved another shot at it. And I think when you've been at a club that long, fresh blood and fresh ideas is probably just what that club needs. Yeah. And I, I will say the, once you get relegated, it's hard to come back up argument that I've seen some people making that they'd have a better chance uh, with him. I, I think I like emotional, uh, emotionally agree, but like you mentioned, uh, Farka is the only one that's still at his club from last season that got relegated. Obviously Watford had 17 managers last year. I think that's accurate. At least. Yeah, at least. <laughs> then, um, Bournemouth, obviously, uh, jettisoned Eddie Howe, and they're still in, in the playoff chase just uh, currently in seventh. Um, so that's actually pretty good seasons. All three of last year's relegated candidates, all within a, a chance of getting to the playoffs, at least one very clearly coming back up in Norwich, who are 10 points clear at present uh, with just the six matches left. But I, I don't know if they would have been better off. I, I I think that Chris Wilder will still be good wherever he goes next, but I agree. So, First of all, you can't make enemies of the people that write your checks. That's just, you you mentioned the real life working analogy of if you were good at your job for three years and then bad for a fourth, would they keep you? Uh, you also can't just constantly berate management for the people that are above you exactly. And, exactly. and expect to keep your job, especially when you have such a little case to make where it was clear that something had to happen. So yeah, I, I do think it's odd. I think the benefit is obviously on Sheffield United side. If you don't think he's going to be your manager next year, if you don't think he's able to keep you up, if you think this is just kind of the end of a cycle, whoever you bring in is going to get, what, 10 matches to get a sense of the players that he has, who he'll need, who they can let go. Um, Obviously, they'll have to figure out who has relegation clauses and who doesn't. Um, So it's not going to be uh, easy, but he'll have a lot more time to try to figure out that squad, whoever uh, comes in there. If they hire a permanent one, I know we just uh, saw Heckingbottom be listed as the interim, but I don't know how long that term is going to stick after their performance today. To be fair, the the result was worse than the performance, uh, but it would have to be. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird one. I, I'm actually really glad we talked this through because at the beginning I was very why now, and all of a sudden I'm starting to see all the reasons why it actually kind of makes sense from the Sheffield United side. Yeah, I mean, just to, to wrap it up and bring it back to what I was saying about what happened at Burnley with Dash and Garlic, I think there would have been a break in the summer if there hadn't been the takeover. 
I don't think Dash and Garlic could have worked together for any longer. So it was a case of the manager goes or the chairman goes. And it's very rare that the manager wins that battle. Um, I think Dash was obviously aware that Garlic had been trying to sell the club for some time um, and knew that all this stuff was going on in the background. And he presumably fancied his chances of outlasting Mike Garlic, essentially. Seems to be what's happened. So, um, But I think the, the board at Sheffield United are recently new, aren't they? They've recently had their own takeover. So I think, I think you're right. Once you start picking battles with your boss, essentially, in public all the time, um, I think it's, it's hard to see how you carry on in that job. Yeah, agreed. And I don't think the media... Uh, stuff helped either um but uh i just said i think he'll probably be successful wherever he goes next i'm assuming that's the championship is there anywhere in particular that he think he might be a good fit um i mean honestly i don't follow the championship that closely anymore because i don't have to <laughs> which i really enjoy great league but um yeah, glad to I, not I, be I in it. Watch it that closely i agree that it will be the championship which on the face of it might sound strange when like we said he had jeff and in the top half of the premier league last season but um, I don't see Premier League clubs giving him a chance. I think a team that fancies their chances of promotion will be would do well to look at Chris Wilder next season. I was trying to look up betting odds very quickly. <laughs> and everything is just Deontay Wilder betting odds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've also got no idea of what clubs are going to need a manager. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss um yeah you, you just can't pick fights with your bosses if anybody that's listening to this needs a main takeaway from that it's don't publicly berate your bosses it typically is not great for job retention um uh you kept mentioning burnley there so let's let's dive back into some club stuff there's 10-ish matches left uh i don't know how much you were expecting from this season it seems like that last win probably pulled you out of any relegation issues. Was was that as low as your expectations were coming into the season, or were you hoping to build a bit more this year? I think everyone expected it to be a tough season. The recruitment wasn't good enough. We only signed one player last summer, Dale Stevens, who's not really made any impression whatsoever. And then we didn't sign anyone in January either. So Dash has been working with um, a smaller squad than last season. We let a couple of players go without replacing them. Um, the squad players really liked Varon Lennon, um, Jeff Hendrick, who was a starter more often than not. So the team was arguably worse than last year, so it would have been difficult to argue that we were going to get better. Um, I don't think many people expected us to be as bad as we've been for 
for a lot of the season. I don't think people expect Burnley to be in relegation battles because traditionally we've normally hovered reasonably well above it. Um, but we started the season so badly when we didn't have Ben Mee or James Tarkovsky and then Ben Mee was out for a bit longer and Jack Cope missed most of the season. He's only recently got fit. We had so many key players injured. At the same time, I think results were were inevitably going to be more difficult. I think what we've seen recently is that we've been able to name more like our best team for the first time all season, really, that we've had the core of the side available. Jack Cork has been back. He's out again short term at the minute, but Cork came back in the team. Me and Tarkovsky have been fit now for a long time and defence has improved us a lot as a result. So I think... <laughs> Ultimately, we will probably end up around where people expected, sort of 13 or something, if we have a reasonably good end to the season. Um, but there's no doubt in it's been a bit of a slog and the fact that people can't go to the games. and it's, it's, it's been a difficult year, but I think people expected that just because of circumstances, really. Obviously, we've had the takeover in the middle of it and I think people hoped that that was going to be a bit of a clean slate start mm. again in a way but then we had another transfer window where we did nothing so um, in terms of recruitment I think there's, there's a lot of work to do and that's going to be a really key area to keep an eye on for the coming summer At this point are you expecting that there will actually be a lot of incomings or are you secretly just really worried that they're going to do nothing again and just expect Dice to continually pull rabbits out of hats a la Pochettino and his era at Tottenham It's It's really difficult to say I mean Alan Pace, the new chairman, came in and made it very clear that we weren't going to be the new money bags. We weren't going to be making record signings all the time. Um, but there's been a couple of moves recently that have set off alarms for me, really. Um, we gave Phil Bardsley a new contract um, in the last week. And I, I, I like Phil Bardsley, but I don't understand it. Um, I think he's going to be 37 by the end of that deal. And our first choice right back, Matt Lawton, is also the wrong side of 30. So we don't seem to be planning ahead there. And that's, for me, the weakest part of the team. So a new right back should have been a priority for the summer. And they've decided to give Bardsley another year. It just seems to be kicking the can down the road, which is what we've done for recruitment for for a few years. And what the club did really well for a time was succession planning, which when you're a club like Burnley and your better players are going to get poached, you have to plan ahead for that. So when we had Michael Keane initially on loan and then signing permanently, it became quite clear that Michael Keane was going to have a bigger future than just being at Burnley. So we signed James Sarkovsky. Sarkovsky sat on the bench for a year, watched Ben, me and Michael Keane. And when we saw Michael Keane to Everton, Sarkovsky was ready to step in. That's how you do it. We did it with strikers. We had Danny Ings ready to step in when someone left and Charlie Austin did the same and, Various players over the years have done that in the forward positions. I think you look at the team now, and from an, out, an outsider, you would probably say Nick Pope, James Tarkovsky, Dwight McNeil, right? The three that you would think mm. teams will look at. Have we got cover for any of those players? Who's the next cab off the rank? If any, if, if any of those players go, do we have a player at the club already who will step up? Depends on which of your wingers are healthy, maybe. Well, it doesn't because we don't have alternatives for any of those players. So I think it's been an issue for for a few years with recruitment. And you're absolutely right. We've asked Dash to work miracles year after year after year. 
And at some point, another club might go, that guy, he can work miracles for us instead. So I think it, it's going to be a big summer with the new owner, see what's made available, see what changes in terms of processes, recruitment, scouting. Can we do enough to persuade Dash that we can move forward? Are other clubs going to be sniffing around him? I think it's going to be a really interesting summer. Yeah, you mentioned uh, having to sell some of your players when they get better. Is there any fear that you might lose one of those three? Um, I think Tarkovsky is the obvious one. He's publicly said that he wants to play Champions League football and didn't seem happy when he wasn't allowed to go to West Ham, who the last time I checked are not in the Champions League. Had a present. Um, <laughs> it might be next season. Um, and I think he would have been a fabulous signing for them. But yeah, you can't come out and say you want Champions League football and then kick off when you couldn't go to West Ham. He just made himself look a bit silly there. I think he's only going to have a year left on his contract in the summer. So we're at a stage where we're going to have to decide, is he worth more to us potentially unsettled for a year and then losing for nothing? Or do we cash in and then use that money to try and strengthen the squad? Um, Ideally, we would convince him that his future is at Burnley, but Leicester tried to sign him last summer as well. Obviously, there's bigger clubs with bigger budgets that are going to be keen on him. So I think he's the the main one that we we have to worry about losing. Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, I think for uh, Tottenham, we obviously have not uh, met expectations either. I, I think if you asked me... Literally day one of the season, I would have said, you know, still aiming at top four. Maybe get there, maybe don't. Um, but then on one day, we signed uh, Gareth Bale and Sergio Regulon. And I think immediately the expectation became we were locks for top four. And then after a few months of the season, when we were first, uh, we obviously thought, like, maybe we're going to be able to to be legitimate title challengers. I don't think anybody was like, we're going to win it. Um, but I think that definitely dragged expectations up. And so then to just go on one of the worst cold runs in club history, um, and then now with what seemed to be the recovery, but then the drop, obviously, with the Arsenal match, and then we'll see how that trend line continues after that. I think that's been pretty disappointing. Uh, in terms of culprits, I think Jose Mourinho is... A significant one there have obviously been injury issues there have been phantom injury issues like with what Mourinho was talking about Bale had a lot of psychological issues surrounding his past injuries that his body was actually recovering well but he still didn't quite trust it we had to deal with the same thing with Lamella after he had missed a year um obviously we've been without Gio Celso for a long time uh Regulon missed seven weeks and we lost damn near every match <laughs> of that stretch that he was gone um we obviously missed Kane for uh, I think it's wound up just being three weeks, but we were worried it would be a month. Didn't play Vinicius but once in that whole time, which makes no sense. The whole point of having a backup striker was to be able to fill in when uh, he wasn't able to. But I, I, I can't help but feel like a lot of this is on Mourinho. At the same time, when you started hearing all the rumors when we were in that super terrible run and people were questioning if Mourinho was going to be there, all of a sudden you started to hear rumblings that the dressing room was unhappy with him and they thought the training methods were archaic and they were playing too defensively. And that mimics what happened towards the end of Pochettino's reign when all of a sudden there were a lot of Spurs fans willing to talk in the press about problems they were having with Pochettino. So there's there's a squad aspect to this, but I feel like Mourinho is A, the easiest as we've always talked about. It's easier to get rid of one manager than 25 plus players. But yeah, I... I 
Mourinho has not done what I think we all expected him to do. And if he does somehow manage to rattle off a, a couple of trophies in two years, then maybe maybe the tune will change a bit. But it's only good while it's good. And then the second things turn sour, everybody turns. Because it, it isn't the identity of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, that includes all the memes about being trophyless and all that stuff. But we are an ambitious attacking side that lives and dies by pressing or by playing attractive football and often not having good enough players and not defending well. But right now we're not defending well anyway. So trying to set up to defend when we still make the same kind of errors in, in defense that we've been making for history is is very frustrating. But we'll see. I don't think Jose is going anywhere soon. I mentioned on the show a while back that we'd have to pay out his whole length of contract even if he got a job somewhere else. So that does not feel like a particularly Daniel Levy thing to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's not it's not a great situation. But as, as I mentioned earlier today, we still got nine points out of the last 12. Considering the fact that we had just lost four or five straight, everybody would have taken that. It just sucks it was the Arsenal match and, and has led to this doom and gloom that I've now uh, cast over the podcast. <laughs> What what seems strange to me is that Mourinho never seems to get credit when things are going well, but as soon as something goes wrong, it's all Mourinho's fault. Mm. He seems to be this lightning rod for criticism, and I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but I think he offers wanna... himself up as that to an extent. I, yeah, I think you're right, and historically, he has always wanted to take the credit for when things are doing well. So it's probably about time that it was his boot was <laughs> on the other foot, so to speak, but. Yeah, you don't see Spurs fans celebrating runs of wins when Mourinho's in charge. It just seems to be, well, we should be winning games. He doesn't seem to get any credit for it. How much of how the season will be judged comes down to the Cups at this point then? Because you can still win the EFL Cup. You could still win the Europa League and get into the Champions League that way. Although, obviously, it's going to be tricky. Mm. But even if Spurs finish like 7th or 8th and won the Europa League, is that not a good season? That is a great question. I think what's very funny is this is a monkey paw situation where when we were winning nothing, there were lots of debates about whether what Pochettino was doing was actually working. Uh, You know, obviously we were enjoying the football. There was a level of unity and camaraderie with the fans, the club, the players, the staff. All of that felt very unified, and now everything feels awful. Um, and we have a chance at winning something when we continually didn't with Pochettino. If we win the Carabao Cup, I think Jose probably still stays. I think people will be forced to then re-ask that question of was winning a trophy worth not enjoying the last year and a half as opposed to loving every minute under Pochettino but winning nothing. Um, I think the big one is if he managed to win the Europa League somehow. Again, citing his terrible record with us in big matches. But if we manage to win that and get back into the Champions League, I think that would be worlds different than winning the Carabao Cup. Because not only would it be a trophy, it would be a European trophy, and it would also guarantee us Champions League football as we continue to try to hold on to some of our bigger players. It sounds like Kane's just willing to stay. I I don't know why at this point, but cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, at this point, I... I I think Mourinho would have to win something to turn this around. If we don't win something this year and miss out on Champions League, I do not think it's likely that he'd be our manager by December next year. I don't think there's a world where he's not our manager August 1 next year um, because of all the the finances involved. But if fans are back in stands, 
you start getting those complaints. And we, if if we're like where Arsenal were in December, weren't they like 15th or something like that pretty late into the year? And that's when everybody was talking about Arteta getting sacked. I yeah. would be surprised if he would survive something like that. Yeah, because the thing is, that is going to happen, right? Because it always happens with Mourinho. There will be a severe downturn and he will leave under a cloud because that has happened everywhere. With and it leaves the fan bases divided. Well, like exactly. for a long but, time afterward. But the trade-off is that you get someone who, who has been a serial winner, who delivers trophies at every club. So you're right, if he doesn't do that, then what was the point? But if he does get the trophy, if he does win the Europa League, then that's that's what the whole point was, right? And I think the other thing is that the team hasn't been broken up. When Pochettino left, there was all these fears that the star players were going to leave. That hasn't really happened. Yeah, Mourinho's trimmed the squad a little bit, and some of the high earners have left. But Kane's still there. Son's still there. The, the big names, Larissa's still there. Toby the signed a contract extension because Jose came in. Exactly. So all the talk about the dressing room being split, it, it doesn't really add up with the fact that all these players have st- stuck around. Now, you could say that they think they can outlast Mourinho, and the chances are they will. If Harry Kane wants to stay at Spurs, he's going to be there longer than Mourinho. That's just a fact. Son's probably the same. He doesn't seem like the sort of player who's going to kick up, kick off and try and force a move through somewhere else. But these guys that need to be playing in the Champions League, right? So I suppose don't have mm. that next season. I've long said Harry Kane, fantastic that he wants to stay at Spurs, win things with Spurs. At some point, Harry Kane has to look at Spurs and go, can this club do it? Yeah. Can I? Can I achieve what I should in my career if I stay at Spurs? And what I've argued for a couple of years now is that Manchester City should just buy Harry Kane. Uh, it would take a massive check, right? A huge amount of money to buy Harry Kane. But Aguero's leaving at the end of the season. They don't trust Jesus. They need someone proven at sticking the ball in the back of the net. Kane's the best in the Premier League at doing that. City buy Kane. Two and two is four. Just make that happen. It makes too much sense for Kane to stay at Spurs, winning nothing, and he can go to City, score all the goals, win all the trophies, everyone happy apart from Spurs fans. Sorry, Spurs fans. The views of Jamie Smith are not <laughs> represented by those of the EPL Roundtable or Kevin DeVries. If Kane moves to City in the summer, I want an agency because I've been banging this drum. I, I want 0.5%, which will still make my life. <laughs> you would not need to work again. Um, that would, as you say, that would be a ludicrous amount of money. It would have to be at least like 200 plus. And You'd probably be looking at a world record, right? Yeah, and if and, it, and the Neymar one was so silly that there was a recession immediately afterwards. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna see that, but uh, from their perspective, obviously the homegrown thing is obviously huge now as well. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, if that happens, I certainly hope not. Um, we're about to have a really big break in uh, domestic football. There are going to be, what, four or five matches next weekend and then the international break as well. Uh, which size do you think will benefit the most from not having what has basically been weekday and weekend football every week for the last few months? I always think breaks come at good times for teams that aren't performing well. So teams that are in form and going well won't want this break because they'll have a lot of international players who are potentially going to go. I know there's a lot of debate and confusion over who's actually going to be allowed to go because of 
restrictions over who, what countries are in the red zone, who would have to quarantine when they get back. All that stuff seems to still be needing to be sorted out over the next week or so. I think if you're in good form, the last thing you want now is two, three weeks off, a lot of players going, not being around on the training ground. It has the potential to derail the end of the season. Clubs like Southampton, who are plummeting, will want this break because it's a chance to have a few days off, recharge, work on new stuff on the training ground, come back, sort stuff out for the end of the season. Teams that have got a lot of injuries, like Liverpool, I don't know if any of the Liverpool players will be back anytime soon, but again, it's an opportunity to sort out the issues that are in their team at the moment, and they will presumably come back stronger for the running. They can't really get that much worse. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a mix. You would normally say Sam Allardyce would want this sort of break. It's a chance to really drill his defence and mm. get the team working in a big Sam type way. Not a lot of internationals in that West Brom side. <laughs> Quite. And you think it's probably a bit too late for them anyway. Um, but I think they will improve after the break as well. Um, it's a, I think this is always a bit of a strange international break because it it sort of acts as that buffer before then it's the running and you have like cup semi-finals and Champions League quarterfinals and all the sort of glamorized starts to come around. Um, personally, I'm dreading it. Like, two weeks without real football um, in a lockdown is not going to be very fun. <laughs> so... so Good for teams that um, are doing badly and bad for me, I think, is is my summary of that situation. <laughs> gotcha. What does it do for a team like Burnley who decide to just alternatingly show up or not? Um, no idea. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, normally, we're so consistent, you know what you're going to get from Burnley. And this season, it's just not been like that at all. It's just whacking your um, crazy pants. Yeah, exactly. But within the first five minutes of a game, you can normally tell whether we've turned up or not, whether the energy level's there, are we pressing high up the pitch? Um, we just ran all over Everton in the first half and really should have been three or four up at half time. That would have been fair, reflection of what happened. We did the same to Crystal Palace not that long ago, two, three weeks ago. They didn't have Zaha and that helped, but we did this, we ran all over them and won the game in the first half. So we, we've shown that we can do that. And like I said, most of our players aren't a fit. Um, I think Dyche will probably welcome the break because there's a couple of players carrying niggles. Um, but we're in decent form. I think we'd only lost one in eight against Spurs, I want to say, that, that game where we were just mm. awful. Um, so we've got a bit of momentum, but the big games after the break, we've got Southampton and Newcastle back-to-back. So you would expect us to get the results that we need to secure survival at that stage. Um I think it's a good time to start thinking about next season already, planning ahead, what players are going to be around, where do we need to strengthen. This is the sort of work that should be going on at a club like Burnley where we can plan for next season now, I think. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You're you're basically a win away from being what has recently proven to be mathematically safe, which is about 36 points. Um, And it, it definitely feels, you know, you're four points up with one game less, but it feels like you are now safe. It feels like the battle is really between Brighton, Newcastle, and Fulham for who goes down more than you, which I'm sure is a relief. I'd say maybe Southampton more than you, just because of their terrible form recently, need to be a little bit 
a little bit more eyebrow raised and maybe a little bit more sweat uh, on the backs of their necks. But yeah, I, I think you'll be fine. So trying to give minutes to players that you know will be important for you next year rather than ones that might be on the on the way out, I think definitely makes sense. Um, a player that is uh, pretty good, <laughs> we talked about uh, before the show, is Dwight McNeil who we've both been big-upping for a a good three calendar years now. Uh, Scores just an absolutely incredible goal. I think it finally started to get other people a little bit more on the Dwight McNeil train because I don't think either of us would have been particularly shocked that he was able to do that. Obviously, still gorgeous to see. Um, But why do you think that the discussions about Dwight McNeil have been so muted basically ever since he came on the scene, but particularly this year? And do you think that he's turned that page with just one single brilliant goal? I think um, I think it's a really interesting one. I, firstly, I don't think he's had a great season, um, and, and I think you say that about most of our attacking players. Obviously, we haven't scored a lot of goals, we haven't created a lot of chances in a lot of games, um, and I think McNeil has, has looked tired at times, like a lot of our players who play all the time because we don't rotate as much as other teams. Um, but he had a little injury recently; he had three weeks or so out, I think. And I think that was helpful in a way that he had that little break, got to recharge the batteries, and now he's hitting the sort of form that we know he's capable of. Um, it's a shame that we haven't seen it more this season, but I think it has been a difficult season, like I said earlier on the show. Um, and the injuries that we've had around the squad have made it difficult for us to field our best 11. Um, and... <laughs> I don't think our system and the tactics necessarily get the best out of Dwight McNeil either. He actually gets criticism sometimes for not working hard enough from some fans, which I personally think is ludicrous because he does work really hard. But if you are asking the best creative player in the team to cover his his left back and also be the one guy who can create chances in the team, you're just asking too much of someone who's 21 years old me when young players come through other teams they're given a bit more freedom and they're told go and play your natural game show us what you can do Dwight McNeil has to do all the defensive work and all the attacking and it's a lot and he's not always capable of doing it both ways so I think some of the criticism has been unfair but if you look at his raw numbers they've not been what you would expect from someone who certain people like me have been hyping as one of the best young players in the league. He's only scored two goals this season and three assists. I think it's not the sort of numbers that would rank someone as one of the best young players in the league. If you compare him to someone like Harvey Barnes, for example, who's had a breakthrough year at Leicester, he's in a team that's much more attacking, obviously. Leicester have better players than us, so he's surrounded by world-class players in some positions, internationals throughout the team, but Harvey Barnes has really driven on to a new level. And I think Manil is capable of that sort of campaign in the right setup. Um, in terms of the credit that he gets, I think part of it is that Burnley is seen as being a very unfashionable team still. People have this idea that Daisha's tactics are very negative, very basic, and it's not necessarily always true. If anyone watches against Everton at the weekend, we played some fantastic football in the first half. And McNeil was at the heart of that. He really thrives when we do get the ball down and play. And we should arguably do that more often. Um, I think the, the thing with McNeil is he, because he is essentially the only player in the team who can create 
a lot of chances. He feels that pressure. Sometimes he tries to do too much and sometimes it doesn't come off. Um, and I think he's lost confidence at times this season. So I think it's been a tough year for Dwight McNeil. I think a lot of young players go through these sorts of periods where they're now established in the team and they have these expectations. Pretty much since McNeil came into the team and started starting all the time, he's been our best attacker. And when you're a young player, that is a lot to have on your shoulders. Um, but to come back to your original question, I think when you score a goal of that quality, a world-class finish, not just a fantastic shot, but the way he beat Alan, who's supposed to be a top-class defensive midfielder, beat him so easily mm. to create the space. I think that does make people sit up and take notice. And that's the sort of goal that he hasn't scored yet. So there will be more attention on him as a result. And it's now up to McNeil to say, I can kick on. I can be have the sort of development like a Harvey Barnes, take my game onto that next level and show that ultimately I belong at a club further up the league than Burnley. Yeah, and I think both of us back him too, ability-wise. But as you say, he, he has to walk through that door himself to to prove that he deserves to be in all of those conversations. But it, his, his, uh, a, a moment like that, I think what it really does is at least give a glimpse of the ceiling. Like if he fully developed into the player that he air quotes could be, that's the kind of thing that he's capable of doing. Um, and then at a certain point, it's just consistency. How regularly can you do that? Like Eric Lamella scored a Rabona goal in like 2013. Can he do that regularly? Well, it took until now for him to do another one. It's a terrible example. Um, but yeah. couldn't Eric Lamella also get himself sent off for doing something really stupid? Of yes, course. Did you know that's the first time Lamella's been sent off for Tottenham? Because I genuinely <laughs> can't believe very that. Very hard to believe. I know. <laughs> it, it begs belief for sure. I was like, I surely I can remember a time. And then just nothing. I can't remember one. You can one, even but... picture it, right? You can picture him being yeah, sent off. Yeah, easily. In any of the Chelsea matches, <laughs> it's even easier. Yeah, so uh, very surprising there. Um, <clears throat> we have talked about, obviously, multiple times this season about Burnley's hot and cold form. But I was just curious to, to get your thoughts a bit more on, on that Everton match in particular. Which, interestingly, uh, your two goals came against uh, the person competing with Pope for the England shirt. Yeah, I think um, what came out after the game was that Sean Dyche's brother-in-law, I want to make sure I've got that right, his wife's brother, um, passed away recently. So he had the players fired up for that. They played a song in, in tribute to get them worked up and ready for the game. And I think we saw in the way that we started that match with a lot of passion and intensity and drive that they were really ready for that match. Um it's it's hard to put your finger on why why it is that sometimes we start on fire and sometimes like the Spurs game where we were just asleep and behind inside ninety seconds and it was three mm. nil in twenty minutes or whatever stupid score and it was it's just it's it's really hard to say because like I said earlier in the show normally you know what you're going to get from Berlin right now you just don't. Um, I think tiredness has been a factor. There's some games where the players just look dead on their feet. More recently, we've had midweeks off, so there's been more time to rest, recover, recuperate. And that's been important for players like McNeil, who've ran themselves into the ground basically all season. Um, and the depth of our squad is just 
so thin that it's difficult for us to rotate, even if Dash believed in rotate. I don't know if Dash even knows what rotation is. <laughs> like, <laughs> he probably looks at managers making six changes every game and it's like, why are you doing that? Just play the same 11 that you play every week. That's what I do. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's it's just been a really unusual year. We've had key players that haven't really been in good form. Um, Chris Wood is normally banker for 10 league goals in a season. He scored the weekend to get us to six. So still got a chance to get to 10. Um, but he's, he's had quite a poor year, really. Um, Jay Rodriguez, who I'm a huge fan of, his form has fallen off a cliff recently. He doesn't even look like a footballer sometimes these days. So there's been some really important players that just haven't really delivered. Um, so I think it is partly down to individual performances. Um, and I think the, the circumstances of the season has probably just affected us more than some other teams because we don't have spare players. Um, I think we also are one of the team. You could say this about everyone, right? Everyone has home fans that are <laughs> passionate, but I think yeah. we feed off that more than we're more reliant on on the energy of the crowd than maybe some other teams is probably the fairest way to put it. So I think there's there's just a lot of factors that have meant that it's been it's just been tricky and that's why we've been inconsistent but I think what we've shown in the last few weeks the Spurs game part that now seems like a one-off compared to a lot of our recent performances we are starting to show that we can do it every week now and I think that's positive to the end of the season because there's a few games that are very winnable on paper I know on paper points count for even less now than they <laughs> normally do because we've had such weird results all season but we've got Southampton, Newcastle, Fulham still to play games that you would expect us to get results from. So I think we can start looking up the league now rather than down. Um, and that's a much happier place to be in because I think you look at the teams that are like the bottom three, four, there's there's no way that Burnley should be fighting with those teams, really. They're rubbish, basically. You know, <laughs> Burnley are a team that finished in the top 10 two years out of three. You wouldn't expect us to be scrapping with no disrespect to your Fulham's, your Brighton's, your Newcastle's. Yeah. Arguably, Brighton shouldn't even be battling with Brighton down there, but it does seem like they're their own worst <laughs> well, enemy. Brighton could score a goal, that would help. It, you know what? It would, yeah. And we were talking about Sheffield United, who did struggle getting goals from their strikers last season as well. Maybe a word of caution to Brighton to address that in the summer with somebody that's already proven, uh, and, and preferably not from Swansea. Uh, no offense to all the... Uh, uh, Swans friends and fans out there um, uh, we'll just wrap up by looking at your next match it's up against Southampton obviously as I mentioned they're in a terrible run of form right now uh, lost four of the last five and I'm sure if you zoom out even further it's worse than that like I said a win basically means that you're safe do you think you'll be able to get it against them or is it another just toss a coin in an air and wait and see which version of Burnley shows up um, I would hope so I think Apart from that Spurs game, we've delivered good performances more often than not. We had a couple of dodgy ones against um, Fulham at home, West Brom at home, games that you would have expected us to be better in, but still got positive results. And we've shown that we can now battle and get the results, even though we're not always at our best, whereas before we were just losing games when we were playing badly. So I think the character of the team is now more what you would expect from Burnley. Um, Southampton, like I said earlier, are one of the teams I would expect to improve a lot after the break partly because they can't get any worse 
and partly because there's too much talent in that team to be losing every week like they are now. Um, so it's maybe a good time to play them, but maybe not, depending on how much of a reaction there is from them. Um, we won there last season. I think that was the last away, no, the last but one away game that I was able to go to before the world happened. Um, so we've shown that we can win there recently, is what I'm saying. Um, and yeah, if we play like we did against Everton, then we'll have too much for them. All right, well, certainly good luck there. Uh, it's obviously a big layoff between uh, now and that match that's going to be against Southampton, but I think as most teams would, looking at Southampton right now, you're probably considering that a very good opportunity to get those points. And like I said, that's that's basically safety for you against uh, all those other clubs um, that we've talked about many times, your Brightons and your Newcastles and your Fulhams. Uh, that will do it for us today as we're about to hit the hour mark. But if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, if anyone has, has listened to me ramble on for an hour and would like more for some reason, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Jamie Smith Sport. Um, more bad football takes and assorted nonsense over there. It is fantastic nonsense over there, so be sure to give uh, Jamie a follow. I cannot wait for this um, new Twitter charging thing to come in. I'm going to be so rich. <laughs> uh, when pe- It's over for you lot when people have to pay to read my tweets. Like, <laughs> it's just over. <laughs> well, or they'll just shop in the bargain bin for uh, the tweets of myself <laughs> and everyone else. Um, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I am Kevin DeVries. I'm at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. Uh, We hope you enjoyed just Jamie and I talking about football for a long time. More Tottenham talk and apologies for that. If you've made it this far, you certainly deserve an apology from me about Tottenham being a main topic for the last three or four weeks. But it's been uh, an interesting time uh, for Spurs as well. But anyway, thanks again, Jamie, for coming on today and spending so much time chatting with me. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.